0: Welcome, Hans, to the podcast. Um, Thank you. Maybe to start off with, um, Hans, like we spoke about this before, and we were kind of thinking what could be interesting to jump in. We've worked together at Cleo, so we have an interesting chemistry there, which I'd love to talk about. But for everyone that's listening, you know, um, the employee evangelist is kind of like highlighting the story, the journey, and 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 what you're about, and you've got a crazy story that I think is super interesting in terms of how you've evolved and how you definitely got into sales and now where you're wanting to go next. Can we start by like kind of going where like who is Hans, where are you from Um, Denmark, which where you grew up and and kind of your whole story kind of up until now is in as detailed as you want.
1: I can try to do that uh, quite fast of course. (laughs) Well uh, yeah (laughs) I'm Hans, I I come from uh, South Denmark, grew up on a farm um, and actually always wanted to be a truck mechanic so uh, (laughs) back in the days when I was younger I yeah of course went to school to be a a truck mechanic and worked for around four years uh, on that part. I loved the technical aspect of it uh, and the problem solving. Um, After a while I or almost all the time I also worked part-time for my dad. Um, He was a hoof trimmer so he cut nails (laughs) on cows and that also meant when you're a a truck mechanic and your father has his own business with four trucks, then somebody needs to fix them and uh, that would be me. So I think over a period of almost over half a year, um, I did two shifts uh, every day, Uh, so worked on trucks and helped him out while being a truck mechanic, either in the beginning of the day or the end, and at the end it was just too hard, to be honest. so I told him, either you're gonna give me a prize I can't say no to, or I have to say no to this because I couldn't do both. And suddenly, what was it? Uh, quick,
0: quick, what was it like working with your dad, though? I mean, I'm sure many people have done that before, worked for their family, for example. I've never done it, so I have no clue. What's it like that kind of relationship dynamic?
1: It's a tough one. It uh, really depends on how your relationship is. Um, in some points, it's really nice because you have that kind of a, a feeling and then you know each other that well, so you know what's going to happen if you do this forth and back. So there's not so many gray areas, but also those, it's really hard for some people to distance on, is it work or is it free time? And uh, are you my employee or are you my son kind of a thing? <laughs> so I found myself working quite a lot when I worked there, mostly because it was, hey, could you please stop by and fix this because uh, I need to truck a uh, truck. Today, it was kind of like on demand, um, and yeah, um, when you're not that good at communicating, um, hence being an old farmer uh, and a farmer's boy, and grew up in South Denmark, uh, communication is not the best thing, or the the thing you've learned from the beginning. So it was a lot of yeah, forth and back. Mm. At the end, we split ways in a not so nice way. Um, but yeah, things got, uh, I wouldn't say ugly, but just one of the few times in my life I've been really angry. So I quit there and started to be a, a garbage man for four year, uh, four months, just to get in some money. And then I turned up to be a, um, how do you call that, a blacksmith. So welding and stuff like that on trailers, on trucks. And one road day...
0: Codes, man? I, I just don't <laughs> how, how do you jump around? I okay. can't. Is that like pure survival or like, how did you end up in those things? Like, was it like, mm, I need to make some money and this sounds kind of interesting. I could do it. Or this was it completely just to get, get, get by.
1: I think back then it was just to get by. I knew I had to have uh, something for the rent and something for food and gas for the car. So back at the day, uh, it was only actually just to get some money. And I'm not that picky. I'm not that, uh, like, I don't have to wear a suit every day. I would actually prefer not to. Um, but yeah. And one day, suddenly, there was a guy calling me up and asking if I wanted to move to Norway and be a truck mechanic. And uh, up until that day, I actually always thought that I would live in South Denmark. I was uh, just before me and my dad split up, if we could say so. I was about to buy half of the company because I should take it over um, and run it after him. But things just didn't work out. And actually, they ended up working out much better than I ever thought. Because uh, after one and a half week, I moved to uh, Norway, not knowing anyone. Um, I remember I was standing on the ferry, uh, listening to music, smoking a cigarette on the deck. And I was just thinking, Hans, what the fuck are you doing here? You total idiot. You're leaving everything behind. You don't know anyone up there. Now I was actually a bit nervous, you know, the first day at school, just a bit worse. But I figured out actually after, nowadays I can't get enough of that feeling, you know, that feeling of what are you actually doing here? That's taking the step out of the comfort zone. Um, my plan was to be in Norway for a year, uh, ended up actually being there for four years and in between also half a year in, in Amsterdam. Um, so yeah. Um,
0: Do you and think I it's think- common though? I think coming, okay, funnily enough, I'm also from Jutland, uh, not not necessarily to the south, but from Espia, right? I have no connection, so I think it's a bit of unfair thing. But your journey coming out of Denmark, how rare is that from where you came from? Like, is it is it rare for people to, to leave? And like, you know, I guess back in the farmland area, it's like very community, right? I don't really know is why I'm asking.
1: Yeah, well, most of my friends, they are still at home, Um On the countryside either have their own business or have been working in almost the same business for ages. Most of them also have kids, houses, cars, dogs, and like our set, if you could say so. I said I'm the funny uncle who lives far away, (laughs) but yeah, it's not common, but I actually figured out that is also what makes me happy not to be stuck and actually live all what I can. Uh, I'll get back to that later on as well. Um, sure. I think I think it was in, in Norway for almost two years when I actually moved from being a truck mechanic and a workshop manager into sales. Um, and I remember my cousin, she has uh, she's this, the same age as me and uh, worked in sales a lot longer than me. And she called me up when I was 19, like, hey, man, you need to move to Aarhus. Come up here, be a sales guy. You would be perfect for that. And I was like, no. I'm not going to sit on the phone every day in front of a computer. And then, I think it was yeah, five years later, I called her up and I said, like, I have an interview tomorrow. Oh, what is that for? Well, a sales job. And she just laughed her ass off. But what
0: fueled that, though? Why, why did you like, I want to go for, like, was that another random coincidence? Where did that jump come from?
1: It actually was because I uh, got injured in my shoulders, in both shoulders on the same day. I worked out, I think, six days a week. I uh, had to get away from uh, some anger or get away, get let off some steam and some anger. Right. Um, and, of course, working as a truck mechanic with your hands over your head all the time, uh, at one point, your body just will tell you, like, this is not working. So I couldn't move my arms over my shoulders, actually. And I had to figure right. out another way. So it was totally random, uh, just like the call I got. To move to Norway. I remember he called me up uh, when I was on sick leave uh, at nine o'clock in the morning and said like, did I wake you up? And I was like, uh, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, but actually asked me uh, if I could come uh, the day after on the interview. And when you're a truck mechanic and only walk in overalls and t-shirts and sweaters, I had to go out and buy a shirt. I remember it was a black one. I was so nervous when I went to the interview because I've never tried this before. I only wear a shirt when I had to go to a funeral or a a wedding.
0: Um, That was quite fun.
1: Okay, then fast
0: forward. So so if we fast forward then a few years, you got into sales, everything kind of started taking off. Um, And then now you're in Copenhagen. And what was that kind of... Did you just love it? Did you did it just work out? Because, you know, we worked together. You you were an amazing sales guy. Like, you brought a huge amount of energy to the floor. Everyone was super pumped when you were around. And you were like a massive culture stamp, in my honest opinion. So when you left, you could feel that, right? And I think this is why we started talking again about this, because, you know, from an evangelist perspective, where I see you as, like, you're almost like a hidden evangelist. Like, you just, you bring a lot of energy, and you, you kind of pull people in to want to come together and work um, while others are maybe more vocal, more online kind of doing stuff, you're much more of that core. Um, where did that develop from? Cause you have a huge amount of passion.
1: I think it started when I started in sales because I, I drove on anger. I needed to have some money for my lawyer and stuff like that because of the split up with my dad. Yeah. I a a really nice and smart guy um, called Per Eftang from Norway. Um, actually a former SWAT leader in the police force, uh, Insanely friendly guy, and I've never met a guy who's more emotional, smart than he is. Um, and he was really a good thing that happened to me, if I could say so. Um, I was a, at that point I was a team lead, uh, which is almost the same as a country manager, because I was basically um, responsible for the whole Danish team. And I started working with him uh, after I moved back from uh, the Netherlands, and it went really good in the first few weeks. I just felt like we really connected and then at some point he came into uh, one of our planned coaching sessions and told me, hey Hans, I can feel every time we get to this point, you have a barrier. If you're not going to help me uh, get into you, uh, let me help you um, or I won't do this. And then he told me like, hey Hans, I know you have my number, so call me up when you're ready to open up. If not, it's okay with me, but uh, I will not spend more time of my time uh, on you, you're not letting me in. And I think it took uh, four days um, where he really pushed my um, comfort zone on actually having to open up to someone that you kind of know, but not totally. And uh, I called him up on a Saturday morning and he was like, yeah, I'm home. So come out for coffee. I I went out there. He lived a few kilometers away. And he ended up actually, with all of this, uh, ended up actually being a really close friend as well. Um, And he taught me one good thing. He said, Hans, I can see that you have some good core values. Um, You just need to trust your gut on, this is also the right thing. You should not let other people affect you. And we worked a lot with uh, positive thinking. Um, And I would say the start of my sales career was quite good. Um, but I, I was driven by hate, if you could say so. It was a negative internal flame in my motivation.
0: And Would he you told say me, though, like, No, go ahead, go ahead.
1: He actually told me, like, You can keep on going like that, but it will eat you up. So you need to figure out how to transform this into a positive thing. And we worked a lot of that in coaching sessions and, and talks. And he actually said one sentence that I remember. And I also used a lot when I, I coached others that look how far you got by being angry. What would happen if you would be happy instead? What could you then achieve if it only was for you and not for anyone else? And that just really made the switch. Um, and I can just see, uh, if you would have me right now and uh, the 30 year old Hans that still lives in South Denmark, it would be two different persons or people. Mm. Um, I think that is,
0: but then I think I love that. And I think that's an interesting perspective even for me now, because I think one of the things, for example, when we were at Clio, for example, I loved Clio. I loved the technology. I love what we were doing, but you know, and I was really honest when I left, one of the reasons why I left was, was not necessarily because of the company. It was more because of where they were. It wasn't my jam anymore. It was growing into a big beast. I wasn't excited by that and Hmm. i kind of began to lose my passion but one of the things that i made a mistake with which i learned probably the hard way on an emotional level is that i had a hard time separating me and my values from the company and the company's values so it's like i i had grown with it so much from the beginning i kind of forgot you know when you're in like one of those relationships where it's your girlfriend for a few years and then you're together for so long that you kind of forget like who was i before the relationship you know what i mean you
1: become one person almost
0: you become that one person and it's a scary moment when you realize, you know, all my friends are your friends and I don't even know what's going to happen if anything doesn't work out. Right. But I think that the realization for me was, um, you know, it's not my company, which is fine and it's it's normal, but the the whole point for me with this podcast is like, you know, what did I gain from that journey? And what I did gain was a platform. So I I did my LinkedIn thing. I, I was sort of working, um, indirectly on my brand which which did help me a lot and I've now that I when I left you know this massive imposter syndrome you know what what is it like to do this on your own was it because of them but was it because of you and as you take a few steps back it was like whoa this is really interesting to take perspective and one of the things that I want to achieve with this and I'm rambling a bit but you know it feels like what you said there is that you realize how to invest in yourself and you know the anger is is one thing but if you forget about investing in yourself and you know, you're an employee at the end of the day, like are you gaining or, and it doesn't mean gaining in career progression, but gaining in your development for what you want to do and where you're happy. Right. Yeah.
1: I always say like people have their own agenda and they should have. Um, But if, if your own agenda is actually to get in, kick some ass, everything you can and progress all the stages you can, then it's fine with me because then you've done everything you could. And I've given you everything I could as well. Which means you cannot go further in this journey with me right now. So you actually need to find someone new, someone who's smarter or something that is totally different than what you're doing right now. Because everybody owe it to themselves, or I believe I owe it to myself. Um,
0: yeah, and I think because it's it's you know like when you look at when you look at these high growth companies, right? And I I um I did this video for Statham and that was when I, I announced that I was leaving Cleo. It made me realize like. The growth that I liked was the early stage when it was kind of more chaos, there was not much structure, you know, you had to figure shit out on your own. Um, And it was the glory days. Like back in those days, I don't think many people know this, but you know, Clio was getting an enormous amount of inbound. Like we just had the machine running and to be fair, Alan was doing an amazing job in marketing and that's really why we were super successful. We were kind of order takers, right? You know, we were taking orders, but like giving an experience, like it was an experience for the customer. So, we could build on that brand. And that's where I think we had a lot of early virality. Um, but when you get bigger, it's more like structure, processes, and it has to happen because it gets yeah. to, to that level. Um, but I think it's difficult for a lot of people to separate, like, okay, that's not my journey. I don't think I want to go on that because that's not where my heart is. But people like security of having a job. I get it. People like, you know, you might have a pension, you might have kids to feed you know a mortgage to pay if not you don't have the luxury of being super open
1: I would also think what you're telling me here is actually that you are aware where you are good and what you actually want and I I believe that is a much higher success rate that you actually know what you're good at and what you want to do instead of following along with something and suddenly waking up and be like oh this is not me anymore you know what I mean I think it's quite a in, in South Dama, we say it's quite adult of you uh, to be that grown-up and figure that one out uh, yourself and be that uh, self-evaluating. I like that yeah. a lot.
0: And I mean, what what will come out, you know, this is going to happen in the next two to three weeks. So after these podcasts are live, but um, I'm working on something which... I'm going to be probably supporting a new company, but it's it's exactly where I fit in, exactly where I know I can add value from day one, and also there's a definitive timeline on how much I can add value for. Yeah. And and that's the journey that's fun, right? And I think what I'm what I think is interesting, and and I'd love to hear if you what you think about this is like when you know the value that you place on a company you can then negotiate on a different level but it's more like very transparent it's like hey i I like being an employee for you because i like where you're going what your brand is doing what your company is trying to achieve but not losing the fact that you know in theory you're renting me as an employee i don't really owe you anything Mm -hmm. but i choose to associate with you because it's like quite a synergistic relationship right yeah but then you, you left Cleo, right? And I, I can't remember exactly what the terms were, but I mean, I, I really admired you for taking that. Like, Well, this is not going like, to, for where I want to go now and what I need to achieve now, this isn't going to fit. And then like, you, were, you were able to walk. I think a lot of people can't do that. A lot of people have that fear. Um, I don't know if you want to go deeper on that, but I think that's an interesting topic where people, you know, people old enough to take a leap if you know that you're good enough. But yeah, it's, it's a two-way street.
1: It was a um, it was a hard decision as well. And I would almost say like I loved what I did at Playo and I loved the company and all the people. Um but there was something inside of me that I always wanted to move to New Zealand for example. And I knew that if I wanted to do that I needed to make a different amount of money than I did at at, at Playo and what I also was able to do at that time. And I was quite transparent with it and I remember before actually talking to the management I went home to South Denmark, talked to friends and family and said, like, hey, this is what I really want. And uh, I wanted to move to New Zealand for one year, be a backpacker, travel around, work on farms and, and, you know, just back to the basics. Um, And everybody said, like, go do it, man. Um, And after that, I actually went back home to Copenhagen and said, like, guys, this is sadly not working out. And uh, it's kind of weird when you really like what you do and you really like who you're doing it with. So I learned a lot of that uh, out of that situation because either I'm I'm liking the one I am right now or I'm actually not willing to, but more like open to do something new, to like myself even more in the beginning or in the end. Um, my biggest fear in life is to be a bad dad and a, and a grumpy old man. And I think I will be a grumpy old man if I don't do what I actually want to do. Because then I will... Yeah. Most likely, or I've seen people <clears throat> actually be uh, the grumpy old dad or the grumpy old man on the porch and blaming everybody else. I don't want to blame anyone. No, nobody should ever be blamed by me because it's most likely my own fault. i just chickened out if I didn't do it. That's what I think as well. Um, so I took the leap. And uh, the weird thing is I always not focus about money. But now I actually had to focus about money to get where I wanted to, to invest in myself over a longer period. And I I, I still remember how the beginning was uh, when I started um, at Illumi because I was a bit unsure if I actually sold my soul to the devil. And it's not negatively towards PLEO or Illumi, but it's more like if your core value is that you will always value money and your, or if your core value is that you will value people and yourself higher than money and then you one at one point have to do the opposite that was a hard thing for me and i worked a lot with uh, meditation and and self-evaluation but what is uh the beauty of it is actually now i work with people who want to work with people so i only talk to hr professionals i talk to sales coaches which is one of the best thing I know, to actually develop people, to give everything you can and pass it on to the next one. And uh, I figured out that I know what my dream job would be, and that would actually be chief happiness officer, if we could say so. Which I, means, can so
0: see, I can so see you as a, a chief happiness officer.
1: That would be my dream job. Come into work, make sure everybody's feeling good. Uh, if there's anything I can help them with, I will, of course, do that. Um but be kind of like the the problem solver and the the bear hogger uh you know everybody can always come to me and uh I've also seen and, and experienced now that everybody almost comes to me as well that's quite nice and it's also quite comforting on where I want to go um
0: and you know it's it's i think from what you're saying, and this is something that I lost when I was working at three o is it feels like you're very in touch with your values and you know you have you have quite a clear vision of your goals and what you want to get to right so for example what I've done now is you know I've really reflected on like what do I want to achieve what is important to me things like financial independence that's one Mm. things like you know adventure I wanted maybe if you wanted to travel you want to explore more of the world Um, things like you know investing more in myself and my health you know not being too over invested in my work because even though you're passionate and love what you do. But what that begins to do for me, at least now where my head's at, if an opportunity comes in front of me, okay, this is a cool opportunity. The first thing I will then do is like, if I take this opportunity, does it get me closer to financial independence? Yes or no. If it's a no, it's an automatic, like, okay, I'm not going to entertain it any further because it's going to get me away from where I want to go right now. And then going through a process where like, yes or no, yes or no. You know adventure is this going to be cool is it, and then that kind of makes it much simpler to evaluate when i was like a like a headless chicken before like yeah i can do i can conquer the world i want to do all these opportunities and then like in a company like Clio, i remember in the olden days maybe first year and a half um it was growing so fast and this was before you joined but you know new roles had to evolve quickly where i didn't necessarily want to do it but you know for example, yet they would come to me and say, "Hey, we need someone to to help with this. You know, I think you'd be a good candidate for it. Would you do it?" And when your boss comes to you and says, and "We're basically giving you a kind of a promotion," you don't say no, right? It's like, "Yeah, it's like a it's a next step up. It sounds exciting. It's like progression." But if you hadn't, if I hadn't thought carefully at that point, does this get me closer? I'm going to get more stress, more complication, more work. What's the upside versus the reward? And in those days, it didn't matter, but it's one of those things that I think people really need to evaluate and it's it's hard, right?
1: But I also honestly believe that the ones the ones that I know that has done a tremendous job in no matter what they did is also the ones who are really in touch with themselves and evaluate on what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, Pierre told me to meditate and I was laughing the first time he said that. I was like,
0: Come on. I would love to see you meditating, Hans. Do you have like a yoga mat? Do you like a, do you like I actually
1: don't. But I remember when he told me like I think
0: people get hands with yoga mat.
1: Yeah. No, but the thing is, he he told me like I think you should um think about actually meditating. And I was like, dude, I'm a truck mechanic, I'm from South Denmark. You don't do that when you're from there. Um but he, he showed me a tactic that means that you actually release all of the tension you have right now. Mm-hmm. And then just think of a feeling before you go into the next one, which also means that when people don't know that you do this um, or that I do that, they think like Hans, how the fuck can you work from 7:30 in the morning to eight or nine at night? And how can you keep on going? Well, one thing is the first thing I do every morning is did I do yesterday what I should to get me closer to my goal? Yes or no. If no, what did I not do? What should I have done? And also really think about what do I need to do today to get there. One step closer. And then I do it sometimes on a stressful day. I meditate in small sections 10 to 15 times a day. Uh, Between cold calling and then going into a meeting. Between the meeting and then going out and talking to my colleagues. If you can go out, clear your head, and then, okay, now I'll go in, have a talk with Haken. How can I do that? Well, I need to let go of everything I have up until now and really focus about one thing, listening what Haken is saying, but also being there. I think that is one of my best strengths right now is actually I always give a bit more than people expect. Uh, Not even or not just um, towards colleagues, but also towards clients or customers and family and friends. I think that's why I am really good at pulling people in. Because one thing is they feel I'm there, I listen to them, and I do everything I can to help. I'm also able to, because I do my techniques. I think that is a big difference in the behavior people come across on. And again, I ref a lot to uh, Pierre, but he was my mentor, and he he taught me a lot. And he said, like, being good is not... um, Something you're born with. It's actually something. It's it's a uh, it's something you do over and over again. Like you have to do. If if you really want to be good, you need to. One thing is think positive, and you need to evaluate. But you also be, need to be straight and honest to yourself on did I do what I should have? Could have done it better. And right now, when people come to me and tip me on my shoulder and say like, Hey Hans, can I give you some feedback on this session here? Yes, of course. And then afterwards, when they have got uh, given me feedback and I tell them, thank you, then they're like, what? Did you just thank me for me pointing out that you did something you could have done better? Yes, I did. I think that is... I think you learn from, or I learned from my mistakes, and I learned from what I did not do well, and actually also taking it on. I love new things. I love to grow, and I love to see other people grow, and I think that is some of the the core things that, that, yeah, that yeah. I bring to the table.
0: Let's, let's like, here's a question for you. We kind of spoke about this before we started the podcast, but you know, zooming in a little bit more on sales um, and on management. Right. And, and I think we spoke about, you know, have you ever had a good manager or a good coach here? It sounds like was a good, like a uh, mentor. I think a lot of people are like, yeah, but how do you find a good mentor? I think it's a bit hit and miss a bit about luck sometimes, but yeah. what do you think of this in sales? And I think this is a critical mistake that a lot of companies always make, but you've been to refuse, so I think you can definitely weigh in here. You're a new account executive. You're killing it. You're crushing your numbers. You're doing really well. The natural next line is a promotion to a manager. But what if you're not a good people person? What if you're just a really good salesperson that like, loves crushing numbers? But I think especially in startups, I and mean, in most companies, the only next step for most people is, a people manager. So, for example, in Plio, you become a team lead and then you lead like two or three people. Mm. But then, you know, you, what happens there for me is that it's kind of retarded because you might have the best AEs that are producing the best numbers. Then they have to now manage three people, coach them. So you're losing like 40% of their capacity because they can't do the sales that they were the best at. And yeah. they're not necessarily a good people manager because they've never done it. They've never been trained how to coach people. And then I think you get into this weird thing where then then they start to resent it a little bit more because they have to worry about other people and their own targets, but their targets don't change. I think it's a very vicious cycle. What are your thoughts on that? Um, And I'll share what I think.
1: Well, I think actually a lot of people or companies or top managers could have done better on this and actually assessing this. But it's also maybe because I'm a people's person and I am luckily also quite good at what I do, uh, like, daily as well, but I think there, I've seen it many times that people got promoted because they've been here so long, or it's now their turn, and I get it that you would uh, kind of, like, try to reward someone for doing a good job, but most of the times, or sometimes, I've seen that people actually didn't want to do it. They rather just, like, do what they really did best, and then just exceed in this like what I really liked at Pleo was actually they started out to plan this, like either you go to people's way or do you go to product way or like that, like how to grow or either to be a manager. I liked that a lot. Um, but I've sadly seen places where people have been there for seven years and suddenly now you're an, an onboarding uh, master. Um, and then I was just like, ah, yes, I see why. And you know the product and the platform really well. But you're sadly not as good as with people as you could have been. Um, and that actually hurts a bit that we think more about the KPIs and the numbers that, okay, if this guy is good at selling, he must also be good at teaching others. Um, instead of looking, okay, which kind of behavioral aspects does he have or uh, assets does he have that we can pass on to, to someone else. Mm. And I think that is, Yeah. I've seen it also when, when I had leaders before that were a bit more junior than me. And because one thing is that you can lead from the top down, but you can also lead from the bottom and up. Um, and I remember when I started PLEO, I had the Ida, uh, which is one of the best people I know in the world. And she told me like, Hans, you have more experience. You've tried this before and you've been a manager before, but I will do my best. And already there, she showed me to be more, that she was more human than just KPI driven. And very fast, we also came into a place or like a relationship where I could tell her like, Ida, I need to give you some feedback because what just happened here, I was not a big fan of. And then when we sat down and actually talked about it, she was like, "Huh, I can see that. Thank you for giving me the feedback. And she didn't have to learn how to give feedback or receive it. And I really admire that. And not a lot of people can do that. I think there's a, a handful yeah, of people that have both of it, you know? Um,
0: but it's like, I think it comes back to this. I mean, I remember when we were at Plio, actually, and I, we're leading heavily on Plio now, but the, a lot of learnings. Like, I think ML and I, when we were hiring, we were like, we want to try and hire people that are way better than us. I'd love to be able to bring in stronger people who could teach us stuff. But, you and know, I we're think just that, is,
1: that is what actually grew the team so significantly good in the beginning also because I've also seen that managers don't want to hire someone who's smarter than them and I get it because it's now a threat but if we want to do what we
0: but what what I think when you put your hat on like okay you've been in a company for a while you know you're you're one of the top performers but if you can hire someone that's even better on paper and has has a track record than you I think Mm. the, the natural progression for that person who hires is let me waterfall my information to you, because you could be probably better at this than me, but then I will think about where I can migrate to, which, which, which could be the next cool challenge. Um, especially in a high growth company, when there's so much opportunity, you can spiral into any direction. Mm-hmm. But I, I like what you said about leading from the bottom up, and I, lo- and I, I know exactly what you mean about Ida, and I, I think there's definitely a few of us there that had that mentality. I don't know how strong it is today, there needs to be that essence of like, I just, I want to coach, like I want to give you everything I can just to push us faster. Like I'm not going to just protect my position. But I think when you get to a certain seniority, maybe you begin to protect because there's nowhere else to go.
1: Yeah, but I also think when you get to a certain level of self-awareness, you know that you have not reached your limit, but right now you're doing everything you can. But if there's someone coming in and can give you a hand or actually give you some sparring or some tips on anything. things, then it, maybe I could gain from this. Maybe I could learn from this as well. So I think it's uh, like we talked about uh, in the beginning, uh, the coronavirus is escalating. People are snapping stuff off the shelves because they think about themselves. But what a great leader would do is go in, take what you need and go out or bring something home to the others instead of taking everything and like, oh, now it's you.
0: But I, I would maybe, I wonder if it's also linked to the fact that there's more and more young leaders, more and more young managers who are like, yeah, but I'm still really early in my career. So I think I went to a talk and um, they did a, a Generation Z um, survey, like what's the most important thing to you in your career? And and I think like the vast majority, number one was progression. And I don't understand why especially young people are so crazy, laser focused on you know, I've been in the job for six months. I want a promotion. You've been in the goddamn job for six months. You haven't even learned to master the skill of what you're doing. And you yeah. want to now coach and teach someone else when you're, and I think, for example, what I saw in Cleo, and it's like, um, it's a victim of success, right? You're growing so fast. You're hiring so many people. You can't do anything about this because there's no other way to handle it. You begin to promote quickly because you have to, to handle the people coming in. And then you're in a role where, yeah, you're good you're still learning the new role and mastering the old role and now you're kind of looking after people. So it's just insane pressure. It's like a pressure cooker, right? And then some people can handle it, but I think you get into a situation where you just, you just, you work 24 seven and it's, it's an interesting balance, but I think it comes back to my biggest one on, on what we started here. I think when you're in a, especially in a sales organization or commercial, let's say you're the best salesperson, I would love to see more, between functional managers and people managers if you're a functional manager it's because you're the best at sales or whatever it is that you do your role is to become more senior and specialized but then your tasks would be for example once a week or twice once every two weeks host a workshop sharing your knowledge your execution skills how are you doing this so you become the labeled expert while the people managers you know they're not the best executors at the sales but they're much more connected to the the people side and progression and helping people find their why and how they're working. And I think that's a nice harmony, but that's, you can only maybe do that when you have the benefit of time.
1: Yeah, I I think so too, because I remember PLEO was a fucking rocket ship, man. Uh, You know, it just as me. And it went so fast, everything, and it was fun and it was a, a lot of work and it was, luckily we did it with some good people as well. And we did something good there. Um, I also think it is speed or time is something that is really important because I see it now um, where I want to teach my successor what I know. And when I say stuff in one sentence or three sentences, they look at me like, are you crazy? I would never do this in a meeting. But then I, I, I take the time, sit down, and talk them through the logic behind it. And then they're like, that makes perfect sense. And when they then do it, then they will also, or they, they have actually had... Um, wins with it as well, but the thing is, what's if you an don't...
0: example of that? Give me, give me some gold dust here. Give me some gold hand dust. Oh,
1: I think I'll give you um, one of mine. I'll
0: give you one of mine.
1: <laughs> I think one of the um, one of the best ones I had is actually that um, w- when you give out pricing, it it should always be that the the client has the choice. It should not be like this is this is a fuck you offer. Either you do it or you don't. But I always try to like come towards the client as much as possible. So I would always label three different uh, choices because it's up to you. What If you want to choose me, you should also be able to choose what you want. So it should not be like, if you choose me, this is what you get. Of course, uh, when you have a limited product, uh, that is uh, maybe hard, but I always um, believe in it's more powerful to give someone a choice and they choose than actually pushing someone to do something in a specific way. So I would always do like A, B and C offer. And if you don't like A and B, then let's combine them or whatever. Because I'm here to find out how we can work together. I'm not here to make exactly 18,430 euros. I'm here to help you because you told me about your pain do you know what i mean
0: but i think i i love it and i agree like it's so much more consultative and like you're on their side like you you would love for you to use the product but i think that's where the balance between management and kpis and what you need to deliver becomes a very difficult balance where yeah. I, I'm a big believer, for example, of you know, I would hate to push a customer onto a product that is not a good fit for it, but they might be willing to pay for it because the, the damage that they cause later in terms of customer success time, in terms of product problems, in terms of complaints sure. is so much higher than yeah. the, the short term gain, right? But as an employee, like in theory, the way most commission models are designed is like, I'm a salesperson, I want the contract signed, I don't give a shit because I don't have to deal yeah. with it. And that's a horrible. Like unless you're like a really significant owner in the business where so you want to think about business in general.
1: But then it's also
0: uh,
1: like when have you ever seen a sales organization that pays because you treated a customer really well? They pay because you closed the deal. They don't pay because you gave a perfect advice to a customer. And I remember telling people like, well, you know what? I don't think we should talk more because what you want to achieve is not what we can deliver. And I'm very sorry. I would love to have you to buy something for thousands of euros but it won't help you and you won't be happy. So I think you should not do it because that is also, again, with that core value, with that core integrity, if you fuck over that one, one time, you will do it again and again and again. So I've always tried to be very strict with my internal guidelines on, is this a good fit? Um, does this make sense? And have they actually, Do are they willing to come onto the team and, or did I push them to? I don't want to push them. Um, And I am very also, sometimes also haven't hit target because I said that, you know what, it feels like your gut feeling is not there where it should be, let's wait. And then they're like, what, are you not working in sales? Yes, but I don't want you to make a mistake because that will also be my mistake.
0: And I think for the fairness of transparency to anyone listening who is in sales who finds this interesting, I think that situation that you're in comes with the benefit of being in an organization for a bit of time where you've built a pipeline. So you have defenses, like I, I'm not pressured within, So, for example, first three months of a job, you, know, you need to close, you need to kind of show that you can perform, right? But yeah. I think for example, for me, when I was in, like, when I was crushing it with, with, with um, in, you know, like a year and a half in, my pipeline was so enormous that I didn't have to push because I knew the funnel was going to work. I had loads of deals yeah. coming. I had everything stacked really nicely. So you can focus much more on being honest, transparent, and adding value and, and dis- like disqualify people that aren't just going to be good. And I, it, sadly, I think that's a benefit of giving someone time who focuses on top funnel, who can like, really build out their their potential kind of customer base. Mm. And I think when you're in a new job, especially in sales on the pressure cooker, when you're really being pushed, you know, you kind of begin to sacrifice that to survive. Yeah. Would you agree?
1: Yes, of course, because you have to like deliver something in the beginning. You have to show them that they didn't make the wrong choice. But I would also say it, it, it really depends on who is your leader. Um, right now here at Illumi, where I started, uh, I know my leader from Trustpilot back in the days. He knows that I will work my ass off to get there. And he knows why I'm here. So he is not in doubt of that I will do everything I can. I'm now doing the German, uh, Austrian, and Swiss market here. And that is a tough nut to crack. And not because the platform or anything else, but more of the culture. It takes longer time because it is bigger deals and it is a different culture than we have up in the Nordics and Scandinavia. But he also said to me, like Hans, I know, but just do what you do best and then we'll come. I have a great colleague uh, A smart colleague, Begida here, who's just said, like Hans, I can see you do everything right in every meeting. So this is only a matter of time. And that is, not everyone has the endurance to stay on that one. I remember, um, I always talk about winning when I win a deal. Um, Back at Plio, we won maybe, what did we win? Five, six yeses a week, something like that, uh, in a good week. Here, uh, to be honest, I had seven yeses now in seven months and they all came in the last few months. And that was a really tough nut nut to crack because one thing is I know that they they want me to deliver, but another thing is I want to deliver. I'm not here for fun. I'm not here to drink coffee and play at the foosball table. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to kick some ass. And that was actually a a great learning when you go to a bit higher enterprise sales or mid-market sales again and actually have to be a bit more conscious about yourself what is actually what does winning mean now when you can do it once or twice every quarter with bigger ones in the beginning mm-hmm. <clears throat> compared to five times a week so you need really i, I used a lot of energy and then time on actually evaluating on did i do what i do good i have three success criteria which pair helped me find again if, of course it's fair
0: we gotta find this <laughs> yeah i can i can Where is uh, he?
1: Set you up give I him can, a call he's in norway son of your
0: amazing Noah.
1: He helped me figure out, because he had such a simple way of explaining. And if you do 100 calls a day and you book five meetings, 99% out of sales leaders and salespeople would be like, what, you got 95 no's? But he was like, damn, you got five yeses. Why did you get five yeses? And if you then can figure out, like, what is the difference that made five people say yes, then you actually also can figure out, like, which type of behavior am I putting into this call or into this meeting that takes or that makes five people say yes to what I do. And if you then figure out the three uh, similarities to it, and you practice this over and over and over again, you become really fucking good. He told me, Hans, what would happen if you go to your niece, give give her a glass of milk, and tell her, take this glass of milk, sit on the couch. She would take the glass of milk, sit on the couch. If I would tell her, take the glass of milk, don't spill, sit in the couch she would go like this and shake it all and like oh no no i need to be worried about not spilling but if i yeah. tell you like you you know the positive mindset and that is really when you figure out what i fi- i figure out when as soon as i know what i'm good at and and i can emphasize even more then I would almost believe nobody can beat me because then I am I'm I'm really good those are I have to be myself because there's no other hands out there like there is literally no one out there maybe you look like me but you're not like me the other thing is active listening what are you actually telling me what are you asking for if you are asking me something is it what you're actually asking or is it because you're worried about something or you don't trust me or something like that and the last thing is plus 10% so if you sit here an hour at 100 kilometers an hour I know I have to be 110, because then I can drag you up. So after five minutes, I would be at 120, and you're at 110. And if I can get you up to 180 kilometers an hour, as we say in Danish, then I know we have good connection, good shagong. we can make some jokes, we can have some fun. And then everything will be so much better.
0: No, man, it it completely spot on. Now, this is gold dust. This is gold. This is going to be so good. However, I think mine, mine that I learned really honestly from Cleo, and I don't know if this works for everyone, I was just so brutally honest on, on my demos and when I spoke to people and For example, we would go through and we would talk about the technology. We never really spoke about PLEO. It was more like what this tech could do. And I I think focusing on the space rather than pitching the product gets people like, oh, this person's actually interested in what we're talking about. Mm. But also in the early days, almost always at the end, I would honestly tell them, but, hey this is going to sound weird but you know we do have competitors and i think it's hmm. important that you go out and research them because this is a new technology not everyone's aware of it and i remember the decision. first
1: time i saw you do that i was like what is he doing <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but it, it makes sense it works, it
0: works. and then i because I, I would tell them like check these guys out they're from here and they're from there they're a bit different but they're doing things in slightly different ways hmm. our stance and our position is about trust transparency autonomy and empowerment That's how the entire vision is built. And it's much more focused on like the employee experience. And that's, that's our stance. And that's where people are really behind this product. And then, you know, they would go away and I would send them the links, maybe like thanks. And then they would like at least 95% of the time always come back because what I've won there was like people like saw me as more of a knowledge expert and they would then ask me in the future even after they became a client, hey, we're looking at getting something else. What do you think? And that was very special. And that was, I think in the early days that was possible because the volume wasn't crazy. And when you get into this machine, it becomes a bit more tricky. But And the other trick for me was when people would mention you on LinkedIn, for example, they'd be like, someone mentions expenses or whatever, and they would tag, for example, me, you should speak to Mm Hacken. I think the most important thing that you must do as a professional is never pitch your service. If there was a specific question, I'm looking for suggestions for uh, an expense management system. What I would then do is, hey, that's amazing that you're thinking about this. There's several options. And I would list them all. And Mm -hmm. then I would say, we're doing this, they're doing that, they're doing this loads of stuff to look at let me know if you have any questions i'm happy to give you some more time because that gives them time to review they'll look into the market but then you've answered the question you've given them advice you haven't said like hey give me a call i i can call you and set up a meeting That's not what i asked it's a very and then in the back of my mind right that's a freebie if that person hadn't tagged you you never would have seen that potential definitely yeah. Well, it's a freebie. I don't think of it as like, I need to win it. Like, think of it as, I need to add value here on a community. And that was just, the, I think you're super aligned with it too. But like, it's just simple things like that with more people. I'm not even thinking commercial people, just any person in business. That's how you should approach.
1: I think it also is in general. Like if you really know what you're good at and you, you you do that as well, and you actually want to help and not want to do something else. I um, figured out after a lot of stuff happened in my life, after moving to Norway that if I actually give a bit more than I expect then maybe not tomorrow or from the same person but I will get something more back because I did stuff right in yeah. wouldn't wouldn't call it karma but it's more like human nature and empathy you know like be a fucking human it's, it's really hard these days because you need to be everywhere and you need to look nice and everything but if you're just like be nice to people then everything will work out and I think uh, a lot of people has are very busy with uh, having this perfect example on how we should look, how we should do and which type of career we should have. No, do what the fuck makes you happy. I'm sorry for cursing.
0: No. And I, I think you're part of what I was thinking about with this, with this podcast, right? Is It's mental health, right? People are yeah. judging themselves so much on their peers. And, and I, I really want to zoom in on individuals, people like you, like, you know, I feel like speaking to you Hans, like you are so comfortable in your skin. You just know what you're good at. You know what you enjoy doing and you're not going to touch this, not going to touch that. But I think people should just listen to this. Like you don't have to know what you want to achieve in life. And I, I'm speaking from my perspective. So I could be not speaking for everyone, but the second you lose sight and when you're not having fun, when you're not waking up and you're not motivated, when you're, when you're just kind of like, I'm just going through the motions. It's a bit of a wake up call. Yeah. And it's hard. it's hard to go through that. And... I think employers and employees (laughs) need to really get a grasp on that and and that should be filtered.
1: I remember um, in the ninth grade, I got kicked out of school because I did some stupid shit. Of course, it was a South Denmark. You don't have a lot to do. So what do you do when you're in a class or school excursion? And of course, so I got kicked out. I got the home taught from my mom every single day for half a year. And they told me you should never show your face here again unless it is for the exam. And me and three others, we got kicked out. But we also, all four of us, we had the highest uh, average um, result on all the tests. And they were like, what the fuck just happened here? And I think it was three years ago, I met my old German teacher uh, down in Flensburg at the, something we call Punchmiler, where you go down and drink with friends in this, uh, Christmas time. And he was like, hey, Hans, what are you doing now? And I told him what I've done. And he was like, I always knew even the biggest fuck ups, they will do something good, and then he laughed, and actually funny story is, uh, I ended up actually giving some motivational speeches to the eighth and the ninth grade in that school afterwards. I've been there now four times, three times, I think, and what really touched me at the second one when I was there is a little kid he said, like, well, because I told them about like who I am and what happened with my father and what what made me do what I do. And why I'm always giving a bit more than everybody else in my perspective. Um, and then I told him like, you can be what the fuck you want to be. Look at me. I'm an educated truck mechanic. I've been actually cutting nails on cows for two years and now I'm in sales and I've never learned this. I've had to figure it out along the way. And he was like, well, I really want to like, my mom says I need to do this, this and this. And I told him like, I'm sorry to say, but, please look at the world you live in right now. You can sit and play Counter-Strike and make more money than I ever will if you're fucking good at it. And what does that tell you? And then the kids, they were like, Hmm, I don't know. And then my old teacher, he was like raising his hand, and I said, Yes, what's up, Penning? He was like, Well, if you're really good at what you do and you believe in it, you should keep on doing it. And exactly like you say, if you have fun with doing it, if you get personally something out of it, keep on doing. It. But if you wake up one day and be like really tired of it, get the fuck out. Do something else. Everything can be tied together when you look backwards, not when you look forwards. Yeah. The-
0: Man, on that note we should we should wrap it up. That that was that was, we deep. That, was Sorry, that was amazing. No, it was it was super cool, like Hans, you need to speak to more people, man. Like you have this great voice, but I love the story. Like you have, and like your layers are so interesting because there's like hidden messages behind everything that's been happening. But I I think that's the biggest point we just made at the end. Like if you're not enjoying it, if you can get out, in a smart way, find a way to do it. Yeah. Don't just jump out tomorrow, but like you know, if you can find ways to kind of get out, and it's not going to affect. I, now with coronavirus, you know, anyone who has a job, hold on to your job because it's going to get scary in the next two months. But I don't but know. The next um, thing is,
1: I wouldn't be surprised when when all this is over, there will be a lot of new startups that will help prevent a crisis like this. So yeah. as we say in Denmark, dig now, there's a skid, so they for now and. Well, it means it's not. There's nothing in the world that is so bad that it's not good for something else. Because there's always something that will get you kicked out of a job, but then you figure out, like, I should never have been there anyway. And you get a new job or you do, like, trust in that there's a reason what, why stuff happened, you know?
0: Cool. I get maybe last thing then. Any any like I guess we've been we've been laced with amazing tips and advice. But any one specific thing you'd share with people from your own personal perspective, if you want to try something tomorrow to, to see if it works for you for building, you know, your confidence or, or your like your specific niche that you want to kind of focus on that you should do. I
1: think it's just to uh, be a bit playful. Um, I remember when I started at Pleo and I told all of you guys that I work in Jack and Jones in the weekends. You were all like, what? You've been a country manager at ABEX and then done amazing stuff there. You've worked at Pilot And now you start with PLEO, but you work at Jack and Jones. And people looked down on me, you know, like, what are you doing? And it was not because it was a bad job, but more like, I don't understand. It's two different roles. But the thing is, I wanted to be better at what I want to do. So I actually went in there almost every Saturday and worked for, I think, the first half year I worked two days a week for Jack and Jones, and I worked five days a week for Plio. It was fucking hard, but I learned so much because at Pleo I can win, like I said, four to five times a week. At Jack and Jones, I can suddenly win, let's say 60, 80, 100 times on a Saturday. But it also means I have 250 clients coming in every Saturday. And if I want to figure out, like, how can I start to be better at communicating what I really want to do? So I used it as training. It was my training field so no, I wouldn't I like say it that. was a human expert uh, experiment, but it was more like, how can I get better at what I do? And when you then are able to actually transfer it into the Plio world, which I luckily could, then it's just perfect. And I still use some of the, the phrases I learned in Jack and Jones, um, also at Illumi. Um, but I would just say, like, if you want to try something out, try it out. Like nobody ever uh, died from actually failing and then smacking their head in the ground. That's
0: and a uh, and I remember when I actually, before PLEO, I worked in Qit and Clerk, and I had two jobs at once, both part-time. Clerk was pure cold calling, super aggressive. It was difficult, right? Qit was enterprise sales, you know, slow timeline, completely different worlds, but like mixing skills. And it was fun to jump between both because you exercise different muscles.
1: You do. And though you do cold calling a lot or you do those small, fast transitions or transactions, that doesn't mean you can't translate it to bigger ones. Um, I remember one of the best things I did was actually using a specific phrase when I came into a meeting with a CFO, when he was standing in a suit and I was wearing my uh, white t-shirt and the dungarees, you remember those? Where people were like, what the fuck are you doing, man? And he came in and he was like, I think you should suit up. And I told him, like, I think you should human up. And then he was just like, Ugh! and then he broke down and then we could, oh, well, oh yeah, you're, you're human. I'm a human, we can talk. So I told him like, maybe you should come down and we should just talk about what's important instead of how we look and yeah, chill the fuck down. It's going to be okay.
0: Hans, that was a pleasure. Always good to catch up with you. I'm super excited Likewise. for um, seeing what happens with you next. I'm um, going to New Zealand. Hopefully everything kind of smooths over and everything kind of happens. But I'm you're the kind of person that always lands on his feet. Yeah,
1: I have to. Nobody else is doing it for me.
0: So, True hey. Yeah. Amazing, Uh, let's chat soon, Um, but looking forward to seeing how this sounds, and um, if people kind of really relate to it.
1: Likewise, man. Talk to you soon.